Hey, TABC family, welcome back to the podcast. We're glad to have you with us as we seek to go deeper into Sunday's teaching and ask the questions that will help us live out God's word in our daily lives. That's why we do this podcast, to equip the followers of Jesus here at 12th to grow in obedience and affection for him every day. Our hope is that at 12th, we would be a biblical community of kingdom people who are joining God in the restoration of all things, one person, one place at a time. And our desire is that our time together today equips you to do just that. Thanks for being with us. Let's jump in. Hey, everybody. It is Garen and Jordan coming to you, talking about Garen's message On the 13th, we are recording a little bit later than we would like to in the week, but it's been a busy one, but we're excited to come back to the text. That just means it's had more time to like marinate. simmer and stew with us. So are we hungry? Why are we using food analogies? (laughs) It's only 9.15 in the morning. Why are we so hungry, Karen? But it has been really good. So this was part two of Psalm 19. So just to kind of sit with it, hope it's been good for you guys too. Garen, we would just kind of jump, want to jump right in because there's, a lot to cover, kind of like with your message. There was a lot to cover there. There was. We still went over, and I felt like you. There was a whole board up there, like a marker board. You didn't I know. I didn't even get to the marker board. So, thing. Like, like, I know there was more. Yeah. Um, Some people were were Evan was wondering, like, why did I stick that up there in front of the drum set the week he's drumming? And I said, Evan, we just don't want people to see it. Right. Yeah. They're back there, like, it's. I was giving him a hard time. Nope, just didn't get to it. So. It's a lot to talk about. A lot to do. So Okay, we'll get to work on this one too. So this was part two of Psalm 19, essentially verses seven through 14. And you started in a really unique way that I that I liked um, with that song, right? That song that Kylie sang. Yeah, right. Do, is there a name for that hymn if people want I just to Google think, it? Or? I think it, if you just type in the law of the Lord is perfect, it'll come up, you know, it'll come up on YouTube. Bob Bagunger is the guy who wrote it. Um, okay, Gunger? Uh-huh. Michael Gunger's dad? Yeah, Michael Gunger's dad. Oh. Yeah. Yep, the Gungers and the stuff they wrote, okay. what, 15, 20 years ago. Wow. Are, okay. Yep. Are, I didn't make that connection until yeah. just now. Um, yeah, so a lot of people resonated with that song. We sang it a few times. It was really excellent. But I just think it's so interesting how that was a song you sung growing up. And I think just like on a human level, the songs of our youth, they really kind of stick with us and affect yeah. us. Yes. And so it's good that was one that did that for you. But I don't know. I mean, no matter what it is, whether it's secular or Christian or whatever, like it just seems like yeah. that era of music when we're kind of forming who we are as people is really influential yeah. on us. So. And that's really when that was like the Jesus movement time and Christian music was forming in a new way. And it was still kind of simple. Um, a lot of the songs I sang when I became a believer in youth were just scripture. That's an example. There was mm-hmm. one out of 1 John 4. Um, so actually, I learned a lot of scripture that way just mm-hmm. from the... Psalms we sing. Those things are like long gone. But when I thought of Psalm, when I knew it in Psalm 19, I couldn't help but to say, we've got to, we've got to sing this song. Yeah, so. you have to. I remember growing up in Garden City and at Cornerstone Church, we would sing this song. I mean, I must have been like six or seven, probably like Maggie's age. And we'd sing the song and it was talking about Jesus. And it's like, you have broken the chains. Do you remember this? That's like out of mid nineties. So maybe you sing it, maybe you didn't. But I missed the whole point of it. I thought that we were blaming Jesus. We were mad at him. We're like, Jesus, you broke the chain. Like, why'd you do that? <laughs> I, was, I was dealing with a lot of shame as a kid, you could tell. But like, I just remember not understanding that song at 
all. And then one day being like, oh, it's a good thing that he broke the chains. Okay, yeah. we're happy now. Okay, good. <laughs> so anyways, you clearly understood that song better than I understood the songs of my youth. But all that to say, they really form us. And I'm glad you brought that one to us because there's a lot of a lot of good truth in it. Yeah. Um, as we kind of jump into part two here, you know, part one last week, you said, talked about general revelation, meaning the things that God has done in creation to show us without a doubt, as Romans one would say, that there is a creator, Yes, that there is more than just this materialistic yeah, world. Right. And so that's not necessarily useful for knowing personal attributes of God, but it is useful for knowing that there is a God. Yeah, that there's a God, that he's there, that he's invisible, he's powerful, he's a person. He's, he's artistic, but that's about it. You yeah. can't get much more than that. So it's it's very general. Yes. And you can't know him intimately Correct. that way. And then this week we moved into part two, verses seven through 14, which is specific revelation, which is um, God actually revealing his personal self to us, whether it's through the person of Jesus or scripture or the testimony of someone. Yeah. And so this is a way that we can actually know the attributes of God and yep. form a relationship yeah. with him. Know him, his story, his ways, his purposes, what he values, how he's designed everything. Yeah. Right. So those are the two forms of revelation. I know that you wanted to talk about worldview at some point today. Is this a good time for yeah. you to talk about what that is? I almost wanted to say, this made the editing for, if you remember when we did Psalm 8, I started with worldview and you kind of, you like, I like, I appreciated that. The five key components of worldview is, what do I believe about God? Is there a God or not? What's he like about the universe? Is it purely material? Is there a spiritual component about humanity, about truth and knowledge? Can I know truth? Where do I find truth? And about ethics, how do we know right and wrong? Psalm 8 dealt with God, the universe, and man, if you remember, those three. I love Psalm 19 because it deals with knowledge and truth. How do we know? Well, we know because God reveals truth to us and that the scripture is the ultimate revelation of who he is. And our ethics, our right and wrong, come from that. That's why it talks so much about righteous and pure and all of that. And in that psalm is because that is the ultimate re revealer of truth. So two psalms, Psalm 8 and Psalm 19, hit the five core worldview questions, mm. kind of in a broad way. But so I still, I love those two psalms. I think they're both. That's why they're like the Yellowstone and Yosemite or the Grand mm. Canyon and Yosemite. To me, they're so huge. And then you went on after that and talked a little bit about how scripture is our lens for uh, things that happen in our lives, not the reverse, right? Yeah. You said in culture, my experience or feelings interpret God's word, which is incorrect. But in reality, God's word should interpret my experience. Yeah. So that idea that the word of God interprets the works of God. Mm. And I'm a work of God. He created me. He okay. created nature. But it's his word that's more specific and it interprets that. But our cultures flip that, and I'm like, I'm going to make me the center of the universe, and I'm going to be the interpreter of his word. Like, what? Oh, I don't agree with that. That's wrong. That's that's crazy. Throw that out. Kind of like Thomas Jefferson did in cutting parts of the Bible out. Right. So, yeah, yeah, the word of God interprets the works of God. And that's an easy way to remember that. The word of God interprets the works of God, not the other way around. Yes, not the other way around. And it's all about what is the lens through which you're viewing your life? Is it through the lens of your experience, or is it through the lens of biblical truth? Yeah. And then, yeah, right, what, what's the lens that you're looking at? Or and another if, way to think about it, what's elevated? Yeah, what is elevated? What right. is, to you, the supreme ultimate? Again, worldview. What's the ultimate form of knowledge? Is it internal? Is it my feelings, my reasoning? Is it mm -hmm. what my culture says? Or is it the Word of God? And I would say the Word of God is the ultimate. Mm -hmm. And I have to interpret the works of God through the Word of God. To me, it just makes sense that I would, I would base my worldview, my interpretation of reality on something 
more permanent than just my current cultural moment. Yes. You know, like if I'm a deep thinker, my current cultural moment has been around for not very long and it'll be gone again soon. And it's formed by all these shifting and moving pieces. Um, but if I have the opportunity to root myself in something that is ancient, that is eternal, that at the very least has been around longer than my current moment, yeah. why wouldn't I anchor myself yeah. to something like yeah. that? And I agree with that, but that's not where, you know, that's not where our culture is. But, but to get there requires some, culture. some thinking, right? Yeah. It requires some thought yeah. and some introspection. Yeah, it does. And that's kind of, that's why I wanted to bring that up. Because I think we breathe breathe that air that I interpret everything mm-hmm. and we just, we need to speak into those false cultural assumptions. And it's easy to get like you drew in staff meeting, you drew the two wells, right? That everybody is drawing water or maybe worldview from like, one of two wells. One is right outside your door and it's the bad one. It's culture. It's, but it's easily accessed. The yeah. other is up a hill and a mile takes into some the work. woods. It takes some work to get there, but it goes deeper into a better spring. And so I don't think we should look at ourselves or people and be disgusted and say, how, right. how could right. you? Because no. it is easy. It, yes, is, it is human easy. nature. Yes. Um, I wake up every day and that's where my mind goes until I get in God's word and, oh, I'm reminded of truth and renewed again. Right. But that doesn't make it true. Yeah. It just makes it accessible. Yeah. So not be, trying to be hypercritical, cultural, all that, but we do need sure. to to let the Bible critique yeah. where we stand because we're affected by it. Sure. And I wasn't just talking to the people out there. All of us struggle with, mm-hmm. there's times like, oh, I don't agree with that Bible verse. That doesn't fit my experience and we right. want to blow it off. We're putting the works of God above the word of God. Yeah. And we do that even. That's one of those... Um, that's one of those touchy church subjects that we don't have time to get into now, but just like what is culture's role and how critical of it should we be? We should be critical, but do we throw it out altogether? Yeah, there are right. useful parts of it. So yep. maybe that's another chat for another time, but I think that's a that's worth talking about too. Let's move on to verse nine. You talk about God's decrees. Um, they are truth. They are righteousness. You, you call them a firm footing for our life. You likened it to... Um, when the New Testament talks about building your house on rock and not sand, and you kind of juxtapose it against cultural truth, which you said, and I liked how you said this, that cultural truth, right? Secular truth that the world would say, this is how we know something is good and right, because it says that is what's in you. It's not mm-hmm. out there. Yep. So culture will tell you your truth is inside you. It's not out there. And it's up to everyone else to conform yeah, to to it. conform to it. And so what I say about myself, you have to conform to that. Mm-hmm. Yep. So for thousands of, through all of human history, people have believed there's something out there that I conform myself to. Right. And even now, most people in the world believe that, but Western cultures have had this sudden shift that what's true is in here and everything outside of that needs to conform to this. Don't you think that most people who are very caught up in, in that aspect of culture right now, if they knew that just like how recent that view is. Yeah. Like maybe they would think twice about it. Like this is just a Western thing that's been, that sprung up not very long ago. And it's not how human history has operated for the majority of it. Yeah. Like if people knew that and, and got into a little bit, maybe they'd be like, well, maybe it's worth thinking about, but it's just the air most people breathe, yes, I feel. Right. And that's why I brought it up because it is the air. And again, even people in the church tend to breathe that air. And yes, right. Yeah. Right. Maybe not to the same degree. And so that's why I, kind of, I wanted to bring that out and address it briefly. That topic of, no, there's something outside of me that I need to conform my, my life to. Yeah. And I judge my feelings and my experience and my reasoning by that thing. And I conform my life to it rather than I have to conform everybody around me to my truth. Right. And, and you even said when we were talking a minute ago, just very briefly, that's part of the reason I think for so much of our cultural upheaval 
is if you have a 250 million Americans who all believe their own truth and yes. everything has to conform to their truth. By its own nature, it's going to be divisive. Yeah, by its nature, it's going to be yeah. divisive. And, and we're going to become very tribal. Right. Only the people that fit my truth yes. belong. But then you get in that tribe and it's not long for you to figure out, I have mm-hmm. other truth that people don't conform to. And you, that can get pretty Just small fractures, pretty quick. Fractures everywhere yeah. in society, right? But on the flip side, if there's this one ultimate truth and we're willing to die to ourselves and our truths and, and all accept this one, then it can be a very unifying thing, yeah. which is just like the beauty of the gospel. Yeah. And, and as Tim Keller points out, that ultimate truth of it is the word of God, the core of it is love. Love God, love your neighbor. Mm-hmm. And so it's not an oppressive ultimate truth, which yes. people are afraid of. Right, they that are. The ultimate truth will be used of. to beat people up. The, the, the Bible, the core of it is love. And so it is a truth I can conform to that actually causes flourishing in my life and those around me. So. And so our work as restorers is not to go out and beat people over the head with it because many people do have this negative view of following Jesus or, or dying to themselves or whatever you want to call it because it has been abused in the past or they've seen it wrongly. Mm-hmm. And it's not that they're bad. It's just that there's a little bit of muddiness there. Yeah. And it's our job as restorers to be the light of Jesus, to yep. show them what it actually looks like to, to love them without being loved first, right? Just yes. like Jesus did yes. to us. And in that way, maybe bring them into the fold. So yeah. this is not a manifesto to like go out and <laughs> right. beat your secular neighbor over the right. head with truth. It's to love them and hopefully woo them like a, like God tries to woo us into coming yeah. into the fold. That's what I love about the Bible and the way of Jesus because that's ultimately what it's all about. So, yeah. You talked a little bit and you just did hear too about negative and positive freedom, um, that negative freedom is freedom from constraints, right? So mm-hmm. I want to be free from everything. You can't tell me what drugs I can yep. or can't do. You know, I want to do with my body whatever I want. Yep. You, you know. can't tell me who I am. You can't tell me right. anything. I define everything about myself. It's all about me making the choices. So that would be a negative freedom, being free from any kind of constraint. And then you talked about positive freedom, which is being free to do something. Yeah. And how in positive freedom, constraints are actually used to get there in a good way. Yep. So like on stage, you mentioned musicians, right? Mm-hmm. Any musician knows that if you want to be free to play your instrument well, for a time, you have to put constraints on yourself to practice, to learn the notes, to get better at it and, and technique and all that so that you can eventually be free. Yeah. And you kind of likened that to our walk as well. Is that right? Yeah. Am I getting and that? So that, right. The God, and I said that, that, for this constraint, it, it is not only constraint, but it's living in the right environment and living within the right constraints, like the fish. He has to live within the environment of water. Okay, yeah, the right. constraints of that, you take him out and he he doesn't flourish. And so God has designed us, I said at the very end, to walk with him, to know him intimately, to have that relationship, to become yes. like him. That's the two that I'm living for. And the environment is, it's that relationship and there are constraints. Yeah. Those constraints... They're not fun maybe all the time, just like practicing piano is not mm-hmm. fun or guitar, but it, it ends up leaving, leading to a freedom too, which is a freedom to true life. That's what Jesus says. I love that fish analogy because if you go up to a fish and you're like, hey, you're stuck in this water. Let's get you out of here. <laughs> It'd be like, no, this is where I flourish. This is where I breathe. This is where I feel good. Yeah. And <laughs> it's kind of the same if you're like, hey, Christian, let's get you out of church. Let's go golf on a Sunday morning. Hey, let's let you just have total sexual freedom. Let's yep. go do it. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, this is, I was made for community. Yeah, I was right. made uh, for a certain sexual ethic. I yeah. was made to mirror God in this way. And when I when I step out of that, like I'm a fish who can't breathe on land, yeah. like it's not good for me. Yeah. 
So that was such a good illustration. I really liked how you. I mean, think of think of seals and penguins. You see them in the water, which is really what they're designed for, and they're amazing. The speed and everything they get on land. Oh, that's a good. And like they they just they they're awkward and they wall around because they're not in the the environment, the constraint they were designed for. So it's the same with us. So are you trying to say we're awkward, Garen? (laughs) Christians are awkward. We are sometimes. Verse ten: God's word is our treasure and pleasure. It is gold. It is honey. Man, this was like, now I see it first, you know, on first glance, Garen, somebody can say, that Garen, why can't he just keep it to 35 minutes up there? Why has he always got to push our time? But then you get into the content. You're like, okay, I get it. There's so much good stuff here to cover. I totally yeah, get it, why we're pushing This song was so, I mean, can, I can't even imagine doing this in one week. And I, I think some of my second service said, we should have done three or something. Yeah. Bailey and staff meeting too. She's like, hey, <laughs> oh, that's what it was. this was a three-parter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it truly was. Man. But yeah, to me, that was the core because it, it really grabbed me and spoke to me because how many times, Jordan, does the word of God become like, it's my checkbox to do. Yeah. It's my duty. And, and there's nothing wrong with doing the right things. Okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But am I treasuring it? And is it my pleasure? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and the, the, to me, those things I thought about them is it's all about money is about pursuit. And food's about hunger. And I'm like, am I pursuing it? And am I hungry for it? Yeah. So it just, it gave me a lot to think about. So anybody who missed the message, essentially in verse 10, when it likens God's word to gold or honey, Garen brought to us this proposition that essentially what David's getting after is it's it's about pursuit and it's about hunger. So like we pursue wealth with our lives. I think just naturally we're drawn to that. We pursue hunger. We talked about all these foods that we love that are personal to us. And so do we feel those same things for God's word as we do in everyday life? And it was a really just simple observation, but a really deep one. It was excellent. And I loved, because you talked about Sugar Snow from Little House in the Big Woods <laughs> and Maggie just started reading that book and she read that chapter just the day before. So Saturday afternoon, we had her read that and she was talking about the sugar snow. And then you, she was, she was hunched over coloring. And then you mentioned sugar snow and her head shot up and she's like, oh my gosh. So, you know, uh, you know, Chesterton and Tolkien and Lewis, Lewis, they connect with the older crowd, but then you drop the Laurel, Laura Ingalls Wilder in there. That's your 10 and under, 10 and under crowd. I'm going to have to start doing like Clifford the Big Red Dog and Curious George. Yeah. Yeah. Just hit everybody. Yeah. That's true. So we thought that was, we thought that was, that, that was cool. And I saw that reaction. I saw, oh, I just knew kind of over where you guys were, there was a reaction. To oh that. yeah. And she was loving it. She thought it was the coolest thing. Yeah. That's cool. Um, okay. Moving through verses 12 to 14, you kind of get into David's response here. And this is really good too. You talked about self-knowledge because what does David say? He says, help me to not do the things that I know are wrong. Help me not to willfully sin. But then he says something that I think is so cool. He says, even my unknown sins, yeah. like help me root those out. Yeah. Because David is wise enough and he's spent enough time with God that he knows that everybody has sins that are blind to us. And you said, not because they're so small, but because they're so characteristic of us. Yeah. Like, it's like, does a fish know it's wet? Well, yeah. it just yeah, is. It, it doesn't just know. Is, right. So like, does that person know they are a little self-centered at times? Well, it's just, it's so normal for them or for us, right? That. Yeah. We can't always root it out. And so, God, would you help me see those blind spots a little bit? So I wanted to bring this back to you, Garen, um, and ask you, you know, you talk about self-knowledge. Is is complete self-knowledge something that is possible without God's Holy Spirit? Like, can we be aware of those blind spots without Him? Or is it something where we really have to spend time with Him 
in Christian community to root those things out. Um, I don't know. I've, I've wondered about that and still don't really fully know the answer. So speak to that a little bit. Yeah, I would say, I think scripture says unequivocally that self, deep, true self-knowledge is not true without the creator because he's the one that created us. He designed us. He knows my heart. He created my heart. Only he can see into the depths of who I am. And that's why David throughout the Psalms pleads like, would you please show me my thoughts and my hearts and my intents, all of that? Because again, that truth of Jeremiah 17, 9, that the human heart is desperately wicked, deceitful above all, deceitful above all things, who can understand it? Again, that's why I can't root truth in me because if I do, and there's a lot of deceit in here and a lot of blindness, you know, man, I'm going to be walking a blind path. And it's the idea that Jesus says, if you, if you look for yourself, you'll lose yourself. But if you look if you lose yourself from me, you'll find yourself. That it's mm. really only, I think, in God and His Word and the way His Spirit can un, can uncover, can surface and expose things in my life, and can use the community to do that. That that's the only way to true deep self knowledge. Yeah, there there are definitely moments in Scripture. If you're in Scripture regularly, where you read something and kind of sit with it and go, man. At least for me, this, I mean, just like, man, I can really see my ugliness now. Uh-huh. And I could even think of yesterday when I said this or thought this, that was that was right here on this page. And God is showing me right now. Uh-huh. I think there's a huge amount of self-knowledge that comes from that, self-awareness. But also, I think this is one of the best gifts of the body of believers and community, not just community, but Christian community, right? Yep. Where we love each other enough to sometimes um, sharpen each other. In fact, the the Bible calls us to do that, right? And so if you think about, like I, I've had people growing up and even in my life now who are like, you know what, I'm a believer, but I don't need to be in church because God is everywhere, right? That's yeah, what you hear. Right. God's everywhere. Yeah. So I don't need to be in church. Well, yeah, God is everywhere. But at the same time, you know, there's gifts and, and reasons the body exists. And one of those is kind of helping us with these blind spots. And if you think about it, at least in my life, those people who kind of refuse to take up community as a discipline. Um, and eventually be best blessed by it. But those people who refuse to take up community as a discipline sometimes have the biggest blind spots because they don't right. have those people in their yeah. life right. who love them and yeah. say, you know what, Garen, actually, when you do this, everybody sees it and it's kind of, you know, it's not great. So could you work on that? And and it's all in love and stuff. But yeah. when we're not doing that, yeah, it's just, we're, we're getting worse. We're an echo chamber. Yeah. So right. anyways, got to be in community for lots of reasons, but that's one of the benefits. You kind of moved us through 13 and then in 14, um, you like how David closed this and you told us about it. And I think we all now like how David closed this, but he closed it with my rock and my redeemer. Explain why that's such a good way to close this. Yeah, because the word drives him to his sin, helps him to see the sinfulness of his heart. And so it'd be so easy to say, so uh, I pray to you in the name of you, my Lord, my jury, and my judge. <laughs> Amen. And But he doesn't do that. You know, my, how, what were, the, I had some S words, my uh, scrutinizer and my sentencer. Oh, yeah. You know, the one who just is just intently looking at me and wagging the finger all the time. He doesn't do that. He comes back to the reality that he sees God as primarily a God of saving and of mercy and of grace. So yeah. he says, you're my rock, you're my security. And above all, you're my redeemer, you're my savior. Right. And you you don't want to leave me there. And that's not the focus. You want to make me a new kind of person. So I, I just love the way he ended it. I thought it was very powerful. I remember the first time somebody kind of opened my eyes to the fact that God's default setting is not on judge, jury, executioner. His yeah. default setting is set towards Rock, redeemer, restorer, lover, yeah. forgiver, yep. acceptor, yep. Um, renewer, yeah. and so regenerator. And so that's what he wants to do in me primarily. Now, 
on judgment day, if I have not given my heart to him, yeah, he's got to flip the switch to judge. Yeah, right. And he does it reluctantly, but yeah. he'll still do it. But right now, that's not how he sees me. Yeah. And I think that if people understood that more, they'd be quicker to come to him yes. and submit to his way. Yep. Because we we think, oh, I've got to give up myself and live for him. Well, he just wants to rule over me. And, you know, that's part of it. But once again, it's for our own good, yeah. right? And it's because yeah, he's it's, a lover and a restorer. Yep. I so. love that. I love how the dial thing. That was good. The dial. Yeah. When somebody said it to me, I was like, okay, I can, I can get that. You kind of ended it with this, Garen, that God's greatest desire for us is to walk with him, to become like him. But both of those are impossible if we're not in God's word. Yeah, can't happen. And so we can come to church as much as we want, or we can go to life group as much as we want. But if we're not feasting on God's word for ourselves, then I think any kind of transformation is probably out the door. Yeah, because that's the thing that does this internal work that he does and it helps me to know him more and to know myself more. And yeah, Jesus says it's my daily bread and it's my food and, and all of that. So what do you think somebody's daily walk with Jesus or maybe even just their disposition towards God in general would be like if they were good church attenders and came every Sunday and maybe even did life group and maybe they served every once in a while, but they weren't really spending time with God, what would their walk look like, do you think? Well, and we kind of did that diagram Monday morning. I did the one that I wanted to do Sunday of the, the two wells that if I'm not drink, if I'm not intentionally, like you said, getting up, walking through the woods, intentionally getting the word of God and talking with him and letting it form me, then the well, and that's the, that's the Holy Spirit, me connecting with him. The well I'm drinking out of is the well of my flesh. And it's right outside the front door. And we all know the, Paul talks about the works of the flesh. It's anger, it's jealousy, it's competitiveness, it's, it's lust, it's all of those things. And so if, I don't, if I'm not drinking from the well of the word of God, my flesh and sinful nature is gonna be the thing that's gonna, that's going to well up continually in my heart and everything. I can still, you know, do the good stuff and check the boxes, but that's ultimately, it's going to be the, the garbage of that stream that's going to come out so, of me. So one characteristic of that might be sin welling up in our lives and feeling a little bit powerless against it, yeah. right? Uh -huh. Like trying to maybe mitigate that or, you know, just minimize as much as possible. Yeah. Um, my attitudes, my reaction, just immediate reactions to things will come out of the flesh, right. not out of the fruit of the spirit. I think that it would be easy to view church and just the whole Christian walk as kind of a nice thing, but certainly not like regenerative or regenerative. We'll Google or we'll, uh, we'll, <laughs> That's, you gotta, we'll edit yeah. that out. <laughs> yeah. Not a, it's not regenerative and it's not something that is like actually changing me, Yeah, but it is nice to do, you know, because without like that central element of God's word, I'm not really changing as a person. I'm yeah. just, I'm hearing Garen teach and it's good. And I agree with it. Maybe it's even a little bit frustrating for that person too. Like I'm doing all this stuff, but I still have this anger issue. Yeah, right. I still yes. have this lust issue. Like, why is this not going yes. away? Well, because it's like you've done everything around the edge, but you've not put the center. Yeah, thing you've not in, gone right? to the heart of it. It's like, yeah. okay, let's go Marvel for a sec. You've built the Iron Man suit; it's all there, but you haven't put like what's that thing in the middle? Here? Yeah, that the thing that's power source. Yes. Thing. I don't know what they call nah, it. But. I can't either. Everyone under fifteen knows what we're talking about, but. Yeah, you haven't put that in there. So it's not really coming to life. Yeah. Uh -huh. And so I can see it just being really frustrating for people. Like I'm doing all this stuff, I'm yep. serving, but, and then you're not really eating for yourself. Like Garen is eating and he is kind of like, he's kind of spoon feeding it to you in small bits once a week. Yes. But you're not really eating on your own. Yeah. And that, right. And that's just processed food. Yeah. You're, it's like a mom, you're just getting what I'm regurgitating. And it's you're not getting Garen's your spin on it, which yeah. is great. We right. love Garen's spin, but it's not your spin. Right. It's not your, um, 
It's not the way that it resonates naturally in your yeah, heart. And right. so God is going to tell you things from Psalm 19 that he didn't tell Garen. Yep. You know, because you know that guy, he just talks about Lords of the Rings and <laughs> it's not, it's kind of weird. So it's hard to connect with. But when you read Psalm 19, God's going to show you specifically yeah. for you. So anyways, that is our plea here at the end, I think. Yes. To please be in the word, not just so we can say, hey, we're good. We did it. Um, but because that's where regeneration and life really happens. Yeah. And to that whole idea, I think, if it's not your treasure, your pleasure, if it's not your pursuit and hunger, come to it every day with Psalm 119, 18 and say, show me the wonders of your law. Mm-hmm. Can you please make this wonderful to me? Like it's dry to me or I'm not getting much out of it, but you can make it. I mean, that's what Hebrews 4, 12 says. It is alive and it's powerful. It's like a two-edged sword. So in the spirit's hands, so it's like, would you please make this thing come alive to me? I yeah. want to delight in it. Yeah. And I want to desire it like David. Yeah. And because of that happens, then you come your daily, you're hungry for it and you're coming to right. it. So can I say one more thing before we go? Yeah. We're and we're not quite to 30 minutes yet. We're almost there. But I just want to say one thing. I think people sometimes have a false view of you and I that we just wake up every morning. <laughs> and sometimes it's like this. Sometimes I am excited to get in God's word. Yes. But on the majority of the time, I'm not. And like this morning, I had a choice to make. I really wanted to read about fantasy football because it's it's coming up, right? But I was like, if I don't get in God's word before work, I know that I'm going to miss out on something and I know that I'm not going to be quite right. And it's just not going to feel like a good day. And so I, I, I sat down, I submitted myself. I wasn't super excited when I started, but I prayed that I said, and this is what you have to do. Just God, please give me a joy for this. And you would be amazed at how when you jump in and start reading things, it's just like, okay, it's like starting a mower. Like you pull it a few times, it gets going, and then you're in there and it's good. And by the end of it, you're like, I'm glad I did that. And I really learned something from God today and connected with him. So please don't think that, hey, if I don't wake up in the morning excited to read my Bible, it's not for me because it's truly not for anybody. Our flesh is what we crave. Um, And Garen and I are like that. Well, at least me, maybe Garen, not Garen. He's... (laughs) No, nah, we all, we all know. are there. I mean, same thing this morning. I did Psalm 128 and then um, just was reading in Psalm 26 yesterday a little bit because of a funeral and was in Psalm, I mean, Isaiah 26 again today. And I just noticed that scripture that I shared with you where it talks about God, he talks about his zeal for his people. And I'm like, I bet that's that word kind of on. I looked it up and it is. And yeah. it just, that just kind of excited me again. Right. Like, yeah, God has zeal for me. Like you said, the 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 dial isn't the dial. towards I'm gonna I'm gonna you know smite slash him. and burn and smite you today. Yeah. No, it's I'm zealous for you. Yeah, I care about you. I pursue you. I love you. So yeah, yeah, and right that that grabbed my heart. I'm like, whoa, that's cool. And, yeah, but it's because I took the time to get in it. Yes, and you you kind of I don't want to say force yourself, but forced yourself. You force yourself to be obedient to your discipline, and God blesses it. Yeah. and brings fruit from it. So yeah, that's our plea to you. Don't think that it's going to happen naturally. It's not. It doesn't for anybody. But if we're disciplined and get into it and stick with it. God will speak to us. It'll be good. So, okay. Is that the end of Psalm? Yeah, we're done with Psalms for the summer. Oh, man. We're done with Psalms. And now, do you want to share what we're moving into? Because it's kind of a... Yeah, it's pretty... I'm pretty excited. We're... I don't know. Do we just let them... What do you think? Give them the heads up. It's your ride, Garen. I don't know. Give them a a little tease. We're going to... One of my favorite characters in the Bible is a dude a lot of people don't know about. It's Nehemiah. And he's got this little book that's a journal. It's like his journal of his experience living as a restorer. So we're going to spend the fall in Jeremiah and I'm like so no, excited. Ne- Nehemiah. I mean, Nehemiah. what I say? Jeremiah? Yeah. Yeah. Jeremiah is pretty long. That's like 66 chapters. Yeah, and, we're going to spend the next year. 2028, we're going to wrap Jeremiah. <laughs> in Nehemiah. Okay. I so love Nehemiah. semester in yep. Nehemiah. 
Yep. That's exciting. So very cool. Okay. Guys, thanks for being with us. Hope you enjoyed the Psalms. Hope that um, maybe your perspective was changed a little bit on them. I know every time I come back to them, I'm reminded of how good they are. So hopefully it was good for you too. So we'll see you next week with Nehemiah or Jeremiah, wherever Garen takes us and uh, have a great week.